0: Unspoken Issues. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues Podcast. It is myself, Jesse Starcher, here, and we are continuing the carnage. That's right, carnage continues on the Unspoken Issues Podcast. And this episode, we will be talking about Web of Carnage. And of course, I am not alone. I'm joined by the Unspoken Decade's own dean compton dean compton you ready to talk some spider-man web of carnage
1: i was born ready to talk spider-man web of carnage in really? fact yeah like if you if you go back and you look at like my earliest ultrasounds i'm in there i'm like give me that dan jergens baby <laughs> oh let's
0: wow let's do this i like it i like it yeah yeah or
1: well,
0: that's a lot yeah it could be one or all. the other <laughs> Derry, dairy wait, you have come back also to talk carnage man you ready to talk some web of carnage tonight buddy
2: yeah, I am. I, I'm happy I could talk you guys into this, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did.
0: Yeah, man. So, we again, we threw things out there uh, in regards to Carnage. We started with the first story arc, and now we're moving into Web of Carnage. So, Derry, can you kind of give me your thoughts here as to why you chose this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, th- th- this wouldn't be the, the subject of a, of a sequel of his movie, I think, but this this is a good arc because it features the first time the Carnage symbiote attaches itself to a Spider-Man and why that's important, why that's a big deal and how the character reacts to it. But in this case, it's Ben Reilly, the clone, the former Scarlet Spider. So this story happens at the intersection of all his drama, which if you were reading comics in the mid nineties was uh, was ample. So I, I really enjoy this because I read this uh, when it was coming out at the time. And uh, it was a big deal for me because it crossed over at all the books uh, that were monthly at the time. So you have four completely different creative teams uh, all dealing with the premise of, you know, what if Carnage possessed Spider-Man and what would that mean? So, again, I I was much younger at the time that I read this uh, and I enjoyed it very much then, but I will say I enjoyed it very much reading it now. And uh, just as a juxtaposition with modern comics, a lot happens. You know, these things things used to be very dense. I, I forgot about how dense they really were.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dean, the Clone Saga, I know you pointed at Darian and said that's the guy, but I mean, what... What were your thoughts on the clone saga? Were you picking this up when it was going down back in the day?
1: So, by this time, my local comic book store had closed. So, the only thing that I could buy regularly was like Wizard because Wizard yeah. would be on the uh, shelves at Kroger or uh, Walmart or what have you. Like, it's weird. You could buy a magazine about comic books, but you could not buy a comic book at this point <laughs> yeah. at uh, Walmart. So, I kind of kept up with it vicariously. And uh, Wizard wasn't very enamored with it. So, I didn't have any like positive viewpoints that, you know, uh, counteract that. So me yeah. personally... No, I wasn't picking it up off the shelves. It's not like it seemed like a bad idea. One of the things that, like, I've talked about with Paul O'Connor at uh, Longbox Graveyard, longboxgraveyard.com, by the way, fantastic blog about, like, Bronze Age stuff. One of the things I told that we've talked about that uh, that I find to be peculiar is that in the 90s, it was all the 70s again. All of a sudden, The Punisher, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, very popular comics take this violent occultic edge, which they did in the 70s. Thanos and Adam Ward, or, like, fighting to be God in philosophical and cosmic ways. Same as both. And here we also have the Spider Club, which, mm-hmm. you know, was a 70s story, you know, brought back. So, my viewpoint on it, you know, is, like I said, it's a little tarnished from Wizard, but I do think that it's a neat parallel to the 70s, two 70s, comic books that were coming back as far as, at least as far as Marvel was concerned. And also I think that it just went on too long. That's what, when you read the inside scoop, like Bob Beautyansky. Howard Mackey, other people who are involved in the editorial and creative processes, Marvel's about to declare bankruptcy, so they want money. The Clone is selling well, so they elongate this thing by at least half a year. And I think it petered out, just like, you know, we were talking before we came on, like anything else, if something goes on too long, if something, you know, jumps the clone, as it were, it uh, <laughs> people are gonna shit on it. It's not gonna be that great. I think that's what happened here. The idea in and of itself, though, it's not any more, any less ridiculous than anything else you see in Spider-Man from you know the Sandman to Stegron the dinosaur man.
0: Well, let's set our set ourselves up here to kind of get an idea who of who Ben Riley is. And Derry, I'll let you kind of take the floor here. Give us you mentioned he's a clone. I mean, sometimes we're just like, okay, that's as far as we're going to go. But <laughs> I mean, is there anything else about Ben Riley that you could tell us, and what's and kind of set us up with what we're getting into here as we start getting into Sensational Spider-Man number three and and this uh, this web of carnage?
2: The one sentence pitch on Ben Riley is he he is a clone, but more importantly, he is a version of Spider-Man who missed everything in the 80s right everything in the 80s and the early 90s so if you weren't reading comics back then like I was not so when Ben shows up in the mid 90s and he's like who are all these characters I don't remember any of you what happened while I was gone he has to get reintroduced to them which is a big deal at the time because Spider-Man's continuity had grown grown and grown and grown along with his popularity so you know Ben is a clone and there's all that that nonsense of his ongoing like am I a real person this that and the other thing but it it's it's nice because he's he kind of acts as the audience POV character. You know, he remembers mm-hmm. all the events of, uh, the Stan and, and Steve days and the Stan and, and Ramita days. But at some point his memory just stops and he disappeared. And now he's back and he's like, wow, what, what's going on? So I like that. Cause it was always this, this good use of, uh, exposition to kind of catch him up to speed. And, and also, you know, the song back then was, well, why did we let Peter Parker get married? Cause now we can't have his girl troubles. Now we can't have anything else. Uh, yeah. let's try to get rid of him. Then, then, doesn't have that problem Ben's got right. a girlfriend who we're gonna meet in this issue uh, he's got lots of secrets from his time you know outside of the book and uh, you know in general he's got all the problems that people who had nostalgia for the 70s or, or for the earlier periods of time would say oh this is this is what I want I want a guy who's not married and, and set in his ways and, and got something resembling uh, safety you know you know Ben is is the version of spider-man that isn't safe so that that's mm-hmm. really where the character was coming from but yeah he absolutely gets bothered. Down and stuff that, you know, the story it has nothing to do with the story. It's all behind the scenes stuff which has been covered elsewhere. But yeah, it's it's insane.
1: You know what's funny though is they they want Ben Riley to be Spider-Man. And it's for these reasons you say like people supposedly the audience wasn't gonna be into a married couple, a married Peter Parker. And they wanted these these this audience who remembered the 70s or whatever to come back. That same audience just shit on this. That, those same people were like, you're just bringing the clone back? That's all you're going to do? So, like, at the end of the day, this this was, this was sort of an impetus that was for no one. And, like, for me personally, there's something weird about seeing Ben Riley as Spider-Man. It doesn't quite work for me. It's almost like New Coke. Like well,
0: yeah. I don't <laughs> like it
1: as Coke, but when it becomes Coke 2 in 1990... I'm not as upset about it. I'm a big Scarlet Spider fan, but there's something off about Ben Riley as Spider Man to me. And uh, it's weird because it's neither fish nor foul. Like you said, he's not supposed to remember all this stuff, but here he is talking about carnage and talking about venom like this stuff. Did he meet them at some point? Like mm-hmm. when he's talking about this, like it happened to him, or does he just know? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to think. Also, he is an asshole for showing up at work and then it, when they're slammed and then they're like, oh man, we're slammed. Can you help me? Like, No, man, I'm just here. Just don't go to your Job, bro, just don't right. go to your job. That's There's no reason to move. even I mean, show listen, up. <laughs> I get it. Don't go to work if you don't want to. You have no obligation. If they're short handed, that's a manager's fault. Like they should have scheduled <laughs> more done better. You don't right. have to do that, but don't show up and then say you're not going to work, champ. But anyhow, yeah. my, my whole thing with Ben Riley is honestly, I love Scarlet Spider. I'm iffy about Ben Riley as Spider
2: Man. It's funny you say that. I I actually agree, Um, because you know when he's Spider-Man, he doesn't have. He's like an angry dude. You know, like when Spider, when Peter Parker is Spider-Man, he like it's Billy Batson turning into Shazam. He puts on that mask, and all his insecurities go away, and he gets to make the jokes and leap around. Ben's not like that. Ben, like, should be in therapy. When he fights a supervillain, he punches him in the mouth. Like, he kind of moves on with his life. But to your point, I love him as the Scarlet Spider. Like, I I just kind of wish he would have hung around as, like, the other darker one, uh, which they did years later with the other clone, uh, Cain, who became pretty much just, like— Yeah, he was the red hood of the Spider Verse. Like he dressed up as Spider Man, but if he fought Doctor Octopus, we would just stab him in the throat. Like there, there was no, uh, there was no great power and great responsibility. So I actually agree. But again, looking back, I can kind of appreciate it, knowing that this came out in 1996, and the following year Ben Riley would stop being Spider Man. So it, it's kind of fun to look back and be like, oh yeah, okay, for for a year, someone else wore the costume, and then when Peter returned. Everyone, both new and old fans, were like, oh, good, he's back, even though they were complaining about him only a few years prior.
0: Peter Parker in this story is powerless, and I know that that's referenced quite a few times. Obviously, they're
2: yeah, they don't let you forget.
0: They, you don't know, you do not. You're not going to forget that. And he's leading a normal life. I mean, he's he's with Mary Jane. I don't even have this written down, but my goodness, does she put off some serious mom vibes when
1: I was about to say to... <laughs> when, uh, when Dan Jergens draws her, it's like. It's like, she's like, listen, I'm pregnant. Better get all of Aunt May's clothes. I better go put on uh, what's Aunt May got in the closet. She's dead right now, so I can grab uh, that. It's weird. Later on, when Jr. Jr. does her, she looks like an attractive lady, but yep. she's pregnant. But, like, yeah, he just turned. Uh, Dan Jergens when he did just the frumpiest, worst yep. looking. And I'm not trying to sound like one of those bounding into comics guys. Like, where's the sexy lady? It's not like that. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. you do know that a pregnant lady, like, you know, can just not look like a frumpy old lady, right? <laughs> right. right. You know, like, this isn't necessarily a... It's fine, okay? It was weird. And that's one of the things you mentioned, is that, like, there's so many variations, uh, because there's four different pencilers, four different writers, I think. It's supposed to be one story, but they don't pull it off as seamlessly as, say, the Superman or Batman folks were doing around this time, where, like, they basically had a weekly comic and it all came together. And one of the places it shows up the strongest is in the inconsistent renditions of Mary Jane.
2: You you mentioned the depowered... Peter Parker, but he actually seems to have gained a new ability because the most jarring thing that I noticed upon rereading these issues is right in the first half of the first issue is Peter Parker can now drive a car, which uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Queens, but you do not, absolutely do not need to drive a car. And yeah, nobody
1: drives in New York, there's too much traffic. No, no.
2: Exactly. and For the longest time, it was canon that Peter didn't know how to drive. There's a famous spider buggy issue and Johnny Storm would always make fun of him for that. I <laughs> guess him moving out to Portland, he would have to learn. But this was jarring for me because he shows up to save Ben or, or when he's dressed as Spider-Man. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm driving this cool rental car and uh, I got a police scanner. And I was like, what? Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> and what have you done with the real Peter Parker? Yeah, uh, me- so that, that was fun for me
1: there was something weird about that you're right in that like I don't want to knock it because it's just the outcome of the events that they've set in motion but it's weird to see Peter Parker be a fucking sidekick because one of the things that uh, has always enamored me to Peter Parker especially those early Lee Ditko and Lee Romita days is that like especially the Lee Ditko stuff he was a kid he was like the first guy who was like I'm a kid but I'm nobody's sidekick and it it was weird to see it's not bad it's well done and honestly it's cool to see Peter get his fucking lowest Lane on. He's apparently, he's a very talented investigative journalist. Apparently he has been paying some attention as he tries to track down yeah, right. Stewart Stuart is trying to track him down because he has information that Peter wants and he's doing a really good job. All these all these like, you know, cop show detective tricks. There's a distraction. Let me log onto the computer real quick. I'll just call and make an appointment. Ah, it's really good stuff. So I really like that, but it was weird to see him in uh, um, just a sidekick role. Like I said, it, I think it was done well but it was just, it was just off.
0: Now I'm gonna talk about this in my synopsis here, because, but I, I think that if you have any input here, Derry, on the skeleton that is in the bag that Ben is carrying around here at the beginning of this.
2: So I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. There is no good resolution to this story, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but but there there's a good setup. Clone Saga can best be described as as a bunch of great setups and very few or, or fewer resolutions. And uh, the premise here was that in the original 1970s Clone Saga, the story ends with the real Spider-Man putting the duplicate Spider-Man into a smokestack after uh, he was killed accidentally, and thinking, well, the body will burn up and no one will ever find it, and this is over, we never need to mention this story again. Uh, and then we're told that Ben Riley is the clone who who didn't die, who woke up, got out of that smokestack, and said, "You know what? I've been given a chance at life. I'm not going to waste it. Let me let me get the heck out of here. I've never been out of New York anyway." This idea was, well, what if that was also a lie? And Ben is remembering an event that didn't happen because they've now found the skeleton of what you're supposed to think is the original clone. So okay. if the original clone actually did pass away and decompose in that smokestack you <laughs> Then who is Ben and right. why why is he back, basically? There's that new wrinkle in the mystery, but but like I said, the resolution is just
0: it's not very
2: good. I don't even want to go into it here.
0: <laughs> and I don't think we get to that here in this book. It's not it's right. in a later story. In. That's why I don't yeah. wanna
2: I don't want anyone yeah. turning this off because I have to then you have to talk about the jackal <laughs> and all other nonsense. Let's not talk
1: about the jackal unless we're talking about the punisher blowing yeah. away and what if the punisher killed Spider-Man. That's cool I like
0: moment. it. Yes, it is. Now our first two issues here are Sensational Spider-Man number three and Amazing Spider-Man number four ten. So this is Web of Carnage parts one and two. Sensational Spider-Man number three written and penciled by Dan Juergens. Finishing inker is Klaus Jansen. Gregory Wright comes in as the colorist. Malibu's Hughes on separations there. Letters by Richard Starkings and Comic Craft. And then for Amazing Spider-Man number four ten Tom DeFalco comes in as the writer. Mark Bagley as penciler. Then we have Larry Malstead and with Randy Emberlin on the inks bob sharon with colors and then malibu's hues again with separations along with richard starkings and comic craft with letters so here we go that synopsis is coming up but first let me talk about amazon music if you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs amazon music has you covered if you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can get a free 30 day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number two, M network for that free 30 day trial. Ben Riley, the amazing Spider-Man, hasn't had a great day. He just found out that his photographer girlfriend, Jessica, happens to have a fixated hatred for Spider-Man that he cannot figure out. Although Ben has kept one photo of Jessica on her seventh birthday with a blurry picture of her father in the background, as he believes that may hold an answer as to why she hates Spider-Man so much. During the evening, while swinging across town, Ben finds a man in distress after being accosted. When the man describes who attacked him, it leads Ben to believe leave. Carnage is back on the loose. Contacting the head of Ravencroft security, John Jameson, He confirms Cletus Kasady is in his cell. Leaving Ravencroft, he is soon chased by the cops as Spider-Man happens to be carrying around a mysterious skeleton the police are looking for. Looking for a way to escape, a now powerless Peter Parker drives by and picks Ben up to make the getaway. Looking to get some answers as to who the skeleton belongs to, Ben and Peter take it to Hank Pym of The Avengers. At The Avengers, Hank runs a scan on the skeleton, but Pete also uses the advanced machinery to scan Ben's photo of Jessica. Horrified, Peter reveals Jessica's father is the burglar that killed Uncle Ben. Not only that, but they learn that the body in the smokestack was also another clone. In the next chapter, we get our confirmation Carnage is back when he takes out a drunken abuser in a parking garage. Now, Spider-Man and the public are trying to figure out if Cletus is somehow escaping or if we have a copycat killer on our hands. Trying to piece things together, Spider-Man trails a Ravencroft security guard to an underground club that appears to be devoted to Marvel villains. When Spider-Man loses sight of the security guard, Carnage shows up at the club and attacks. As Spider-Man tries to fight him, he notices Carnage's build has changed. He's taller, bulkier than Cletus. Carnage collapses part of the club and retreats. Gets the heck out of there. Elsewhere, Peter Parker is going to confront Seward Trader, the man whose technology has helped determine who was the clone of who, Peter or Ben. With the news of the skeleton being a clone as well, Pete wants answers. However... A mysterious person has convinced Seward not to allow Pete to see him. Meanwhile, Ben's girlfriend, Jessica, is trying to sell her photos to J. Jonah Jameson at the Bugle. Jameson wants her to do more to show Spider-Man in a negative light. Jessica doesn't seem to have a problem with that. Uh, but uh, later, Ben decides to follow the head of Ravencroft security, John Jameson. However, when John gets into his vehicle, Carnage tears through and emerges from the top of it, attacking. As Ben lands a right cross, the symbiote melts off John's body, On to Ben's and to everyone's terror, we now have Spider Carnage. There we go. That is the first two issues of Web of Carnage. So, uh, you know, eight. Dean, you get to go first, buddy. What do you think of these first two issues?
1: At, at the risk of sounding like uh, like a jackass or something, there used to be a guy named Scott Keith, and he used to like review wrestling in the 90s. And like, he had a rating that was like 2.75 stars, perfectly acceptable wrestling. That's kind of how I felt about these first two issues. There's nothing, okay. I don't think anything terrible happens, but there's not anything that spectacular that happens either. There are some really neat moments. First off, how about that unsolved mystery picture? Right. It's like, oh, my gosh. It was like Robert Stack himself was like, there's only one picture. This is the only clue investigators have, you know, like Peter Parker, just like, ah, well, I'm hanging out. I guess I'll just use this equipment. You know what I mean? Like, it seems rude. I guess he's been there before, you know, being, you know, having been in the Avengers and stuff. I also really got a kick out of the moment where but I guess Vanessa goes in to sell her photos to the Daily Bugle. They're like and Robbie Robertson's like, ah, listen, these are a bunch of these are a bunch of glory shot pinups. We're trying to tell a story here. And I was like, Is this like what like you know, is this supposed to be like a wink wink nudge nudge inside joke because you tell artists this so much at like cons? <laughs> <laughs> you know <and laughs> right. like hey we're trying to tell a story here this can't just be a bunch of glory shots of Spider-Man but, but they but they were good you know I mean you're not going to go wrong with you know the, the creative talents they have like they're not going to put even if even if they're under the constraints of like an editorial mandate that's stretching a story on too long they're at least going to be able to craft their way into making it make sense and there's going to be some cool moments I thought uh, Juergen's splash page in Sensational Spider-Man uh, was really good I, I also always love seeing John Jameson, Ravencroft is interesting to me because around a few years earlier, Dungeons and Dragons had put out a uh, role-playing setting called uh, Ravenloft. And I always wondered if, like, they were just like, oh, that sounds good, just change it a little. Change it a little. Or if it's based (laughs) on something else. I mean, it could have nothing to do with one another, but uh, what what they're going for, we talked about this, is like they're going for this Spider-Man with problems again. So, motherfucker, do they give him some problems and do they just compound and compound to the point where it's almost like a Mad Magazine satire of a Spider-Man story, but I don't think they quite cross the line. I think they do a pretty good job uh, as far as that goes.
2: I, I really enjoy these two issues, but yeah, it the it, it, 2.75 I think is fair, because they're, they're, they're perfectly serviceable. I certainly wouldn't hand these issues to someone who just got out of Spider-Man No Way Home. I was looking for a solid story. I um, wouldn't
1: hand it to somebody if I was like, hey, like I can't imagine this being like, you know, you pick like, what's the Spider-Man story you'd show somebody if they'd never heard of him. I can't
2: imagine this is it. Right. <laughs> That's true. But if someone had just read the entirety of Ultimate Spider-Man, and they were like, hey, I know everyone, I want to dig a little deeper, th- this is not the worst one to hand to them. Because, you know, it's it, it's got a very simple, like, one-sentence premise, like, what if the Carnage symbiote got on Spider-Man? And it does deliver that, you know? It, it, yeah. Absolutely, there's a great, my favorite scene in the entire four issues is there's an entire full-page Of Mark Bagley, again, the original artist for Carnage and uh, the original artist who designed the sensational Spider-Man costume that Ben Reilly is wearing you know you have spider carnage first appearing which i just think is amazing you you deliver on the premise you 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 get what's on the tin which i really like the other thing i like too is i've mentioned this before but the these really dense issues deliver some like random stuff this the super villain underground club i want an entire that's what i was going to talk about yeah, yeah I want an entire mini series of that like how cool was that yeah and like they're
1: hating on it like this is like like, this is an unknown phenomenon. Like, people love serial killers. People go to see, like, Jason movies and horror and all this stuff. Like, this guy's like, I can't believe these people would ever do that. Like, Ben Riley's like, judging these people harshly. Bro, this is a fairly common thing.
2: And it's great, too, because, you know, I'm looking at that page now, and it could be the villain. It could be the Marvel villain, Jigsaw, but there very clearly seems to be. Uh, two-face from batman right in the middle of the page so yep. again in in marvel universe the dc characters are traditionally fictional so i love the idea of like the punisher showing up on some random night and maybe these people haven't done anything wrong but you have like red skull and baron zemo standing next to the joker and lex Luthor because they're supervillains on tv or something like I, I just thought it was one of these things where it was like wow if i were writing spider-man i would definitely bring this back
0: Yeah, the the whole Jessica thing and, uh, you know, that that photograph, I thought, you're right, talking about compounding problems upon problems, you know, we got just, uh, his head's got to be spinning as to what to try and address next. You know, he's got his girlfriend whose dad happens to be uh, the man who shot Uncle Ben. Not only that, she hates Spider-Man. I mean, she straight up hates him, all right? Well, it's brilliant, because
1: think about it. It's an inversion of uh, Spider-Man's own, you know, story. Like, it's kind of like what they're doing with, like, Cobra Kai now, or the 2018 Halloween. They've kind of inverted these roles, and it's very, of course she hates Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, right. Like, why wouldn't she? (laughs) (laughs) And the cover to 410... That is like a really sought after uh, sought after issue isn't it? like uh cuz I swear I've seen that thing price wise go up. I don't know Dean, you uh, you pay attention to uh, you you pay attention to that market a little bit every once in a while but uh have you ever seen that 410 go up in price?
1: When it comes to the uh the, the cosmic Carnage stuff has taken off. Okay. But uh but yeah, it looks like this is going to be a uh you know, 30 40 dollar comic at this point, which okay. is so we're like not terrible. talking hundreds. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, but you know, for a comic of that time, you assume they printed at least 150,000 of them, probably more. You know, that's a pretty decent chunk of change for a comic around that time. It does have a great cover. And like, you know, like you said, I mean, it's a key issue because this is the first time there's a spider carnage, which, you know, is a, it's a thing. Like, it all... It all spawns from this moment. I don't know if this is carried over to here or not, but there's been a big amount of interest in Scarlet Spider appearances. The late late of the New Warriors run, Scarlet Spider joined the New Warriors, and those issues have, like, really skyrocketed. Really? A low print run. Yes, the New Warriors was actually under the Spider-Man umbrella when they did the Lucian thing, and there was Marvel Heroes and Edge and uh, Cosmic or what have you um but yeah it was under the spider-man family and scarlet spider joined it joined them and i think those for around like five or six issues and those issues have shot up so i think there's just a lot of interest in the scarlet spider and ben Riley in general from this time period but i also think in particular issues with low print runs with spider-man characters that are becoming more prominent especially because with like the spider-verse like ben Riley could show up any time in a movie now yeah any time on a cartoon at this point so i think there's some speculation that that will happen in these these are the issues that theoretically would go up on price if that did
0: happen okay all right
2: yeah it's uh it's interesting too because currently in the ongoing spider-man titles uh ben Riley is spider-man he's been brought back um so if you buy amazing spider-man this week you'll get a comic with ben Riley. so you know th- all of this stuff is definitely back in vogue and, and i think part of it too is just just nostalgia you know these comics yeah. Came out twenty five years ago and it's like great, bring bring him back. You know, we just I just saw a Matrix movie in theaters. Transformers Beast Wars were celebrated last year like give me my childhood back I got disposable income and I am ready to give it to you guys yeah so, there's yeah. a
1: thing with this stuff that's called like a U-curve and like it, it's like if you picture a U things are priced at like the, the top of the left U they're a high price at that point and then like these things will go down because there's less interest newer things are coming out blah 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 but then as Derry said when people get disposable income at a certain age you'll see right. the curve back up on the other side because yeah. now the now you have the money you have the interest. So we're definitely in an era where the nineties comics have reached the other side of the U curve. Unlike, I mean, as recently as 10 years ago, you could have probably bought all these for a buck, maybe five bucks. You know what I mean? So like, we're just at that point now where the U curve is going up the other way.
2: Well, another thing I love about these issues and I, we were talking about this a little bit uh, before we started recording, but you get a cameo from the Avengers of this period of time. And most of them don't even speak. But my goodness, the the costumes that were on display for Earth's oh, yeah. Mightiest heroes in 1996 are things of beauty. It's, you know, you have this random lineup of Hercules, Black Widow and Hawkeye. They just don't look anything like you'd expect them to look later just because everyone was trying new things back then because they really thought the end was nigh. Uh, The next big crossover after this would the onslaught event with the experts where all these characters would be, you know, quote unquote, killed, but really like, you know, taking off the publishing table to see if they could be reinvigorated. So it's just funny to read this and it really feels like, you know, it feels like the end. It feels like, you can tell everyone is very tired and no one knows what's going on and no one knows where they're going to be in six months. And there are so many concepts in here that just are going to go away very quickly because they're not working. So I just appreciated it for for that because at the time, I'm sure... This was like, hey, the Avengers are in Spider-Man. Can please some of you, any of you, go read these Avengers books before we have to cancel them?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're only there. Like it's mostly Giant Man who's being sort of a dick the whole time, and yeah. then like um, uh, I think you then... mean he's
2: being Giant Man. Fair
1: yeah. enough. Right. fair enough but then like yeah they're just at the end all of a sudden they, they, they've really got this like looming justice League as God pose. and yeah they're in their uh costumes at that time which most people like hate and I agree some of them don't look great but I will stand by this and I do not think this is a hot take that black widow costume slaps it's just a really it's really good it and, and i feel like it's in line with the character it looks both like classic and like modern and, at the same time so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with that one I don't care what anybody says 90s black widow Widow, mid-90s Black Widow costume forever.
2: I I agree, actually. And I really like that costume because she will not die in onslaught and she will show up in the thunderbolts uh, which will come out after onslaught and she's she's a really good character in that so i I actually agree i think uh for whatever reason black widow is kind of sidelined for a lot of the 90s but she gets this costume that's actually not that bad and then for the upswing as the the decade goes to the end clearly she becomes a much more popular character so yeah i i will say that everyone else suffers but
0: natasha shines so One of the main things that's happening in these two issues is we got to figure out why and how in the hell is Carnage getting out and going about while Cletus Cassidy is in itself. So I'll ask you, Dean. Yeah. This is a mystery. I mean, did you know what was going on? (laughs) People have no idea that your eyes rolled so far in the back of your head right now. Um.
1: I didn't figure it out. Okay. Uh, you, know, you know, but like, but then when you, you know, I guess we'll talk about that with the next synopsis. So I won't ruin it now. All right. But then you find out and you're like, well, that's some horse shit, you know, <laughs> but like also, but I will give them this though. If when you go back and read it, cause I read this like three times for the show, they let you know the whole time. There's plenty of, little. Right. they are foreshadowing this the whole time. And if I has, if I was a, a more adept comic book reader, because, God, I've only been reading them for like 30 fucking years, so I'm pretty bad at it, apparently. Um, I would have picked up on their little clues. So um, uh, I think it's a little hokey, but at the same time, you know, it's it's not – listen, it's it, it, it's fine. It's kind of like what Derry said. Uh, they give you what's on the tin. It, they're not unfair. They set this up, and it's all foreshadowed, and it, it, I may not like it, but it is done well. It is sound storytelling, and uh, and I do appreciate that. It's not like, because when I first read it, I was like, where the fuck did this come from? Then I went back and I was like, oh, it came from a lot of spots, bro. You were, you were <laughs> the one who missed out. I'm basically I, the John Jameson of reading Web of Carnage, and that I missed very obvious things <laughs> that I was supposed to be the custodian. Of.
2: I, I I will always appreciate a story that goes simpler more than complex. Like hmm. they they told you Carnage is is attaching itself to Spider Man. You're going to get a couple of great visuals, which means Carnage has to get out of the prison without bringing Cletus along and fine. And the way they do it, is it the the most original thing of all time? No, but it's also not the most complicated thing of all time. Like they could have really, you know, I've read plenty of stories where you really have to read it two, three, four times, to watch characters and the creators bend over backwards to get where you want them to be. And here it's just, they play it as simple as possible, but they do set it up. And again, right. these these four writers must have been in contact to some degree because it is it is clean. It's not like they just added in at the last point. So, again, I'll always forgive a comic for being simpler rather, rather than uh, than more complex. And I think that's the case here.
0: Okay. Well, OK, so we're going to get into the, uh, the last two issues of Web of Carnage here. This is Spider-Man number 67, which was written. By story and art by Howard Mackey and John Romita Jr. Then we have inks by Al Williamson and Al Milgram. Colors by Kevin Tinsley and then Malibu's hues on the color separations. And then lettering by Richard Starkings and Comic Craft. And then part four of Web of Carnage, which happens in spectacular Spider-Man number 233. uh, Written by Todd DeZago. Uh, Breakdowns by Sal Buscema. Then we have art. Tiber and John Stanisey on the finishes and Richard Starkings and comic crafts on letters. John Kalis this time on colors and then Malibu's Hughes by colors or with the scholar separation. So there you go. That's our creative team, creative teams, if you will, for these two issues. And here we go. It's the finale time as Ben struggles with the impulses of carnage. Now remember we're picking up carnage has just attached himself. Carnage is now on Ben Riley. So he's struggling. Uh, He's struggling with the impulses of Carnage, the Carnage symbiote that has found a home inside his veins. Uh, He is able to muster enough strength to cease his rampage. He's outside when this happens and he's going nuts Uh, and he heads home and he calls Peter. And when Peter arrives, he assumes Ben has called him about the skeleton and tells Ben he's going to go ask Seward about it once he can get to him. During the entirety of the conversation, Ben continues to internally struggle with Carnage, giving him reasons to kill Peter until he finally leaves. Back at Ravencroft, Cletus continues to grow more agitated by the day for some unknown reason, constantly washing his hands. Slowly losing control, Spider Carnage silently follows Peter and continually wants to kill him. However... Ben is able to stop it from happening. Pete does some digging and finds out that Seward has left the hospital, but his bills were being paid by a company called the Multivex Corporation. Soon Pete learns Carnage is on the roof of the hospital and he heads upstairs. Spider Carnage fights off some guards. John Jameson's men soon arrive to try and apprehend the symbiote. In the fray, Pete gets knocked over the edge and is hanging on while Spider Carnage looks to strike. But Ben fights back and saves Pete from a deadly fall. As Ben escapes, Pete exclaims he will figure out a way to stop spiner carnage no matter what. So as Ben continues to struggle with the symbiote, he heads into the night happening upon a robbery as visions of slaughter dance through his mind. I mean, I mean, he's, yeah, he's killing people left and right in his head. Uh, The symbiote, again attempts to convince him to kill them all but again, Ben stops himself screaming for them all to go. Trying to get any answers he can that might help him understand this whole clone saga, Pete heads (laughs) put that in quotes, this whole clone saga Pete heads the multivex to again try to talk to Seward Trainer and gets thrown out for his trouble. At Ravencroft John Jameson is still trying to figure out how the symbiote got out, but John soon realizes he may have a, a different situation on his hands and Spider Carnage has been picked up on monitors heading into the facility. Once inside, Ben is again trying to resist killing them all as he makes his way to Cletus's cell. Inside his head, Ben is waging a war against Carnage, the, the Carnage symbiote, trying to keep him there without reuniting it with Cletus Cassidy. Begging for John Jameson to lock him up, John is happy to oblige. In the cell, they turn up the microwaves, and the symbiote detaches itself from Ben, but immediately heads into the plumbing, pouring itself out of Cassidy's faucet, bringing the two back together. At the end of the story, Ben expresses regret. He was unable to keep the symbiote imprisoned and did not feel like much of a hero. But with the supporting words of John Jameson, he realizes he did what he could, and that it was the right thing, and not a fail There we go, ladies and gentlemen, Web of Carnage, all done. I'm going to go to Derry this time. All right, we we finished the story here. What are your thoughts? What do you got to say about these last two issues? Uh,
2: I really, really like the art of J.R. Jr. So the third issue is just amazing. I I mean, Bagley and and he are two of my favorite artists, so getting one after the other like that is 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 great fun you know they're so different but they're both so iconic when it comes to to spider-man the, the other thing is i i love john jameson because only only he could really deliver that little speech at the end because you know it's it's not mentioned here but it's actually kind of weird that john is head of security at a maximum security mental facility for super villains considering yeah. he once like had a complete mental break and became a space werewolf um <laughs> so like i could
1: work if you can get it yeah yeah i mean don't get me wrong
2: he was you know he was a a nasa astronaut back in the 60s and uh you know he he comes from a little bit of money so you know add that to the resume but i always think in the back of my head like is he just working here so they can keep an eye on him uh but you know they wanted to keep him in the story and, and i like that uh this very old school, this very like Ditko and, and Lee character gets to confront Ben and say, Hey, you're having a, a long day of it, but I just want to let you know you're you're doing okay. You you did the job. And I just think it's really good coming from him. Cause again, he's he's an old school character. He's not someone who's new, he's not someone who's questioning it. He's someone who's saying, Well, you wore the costume, you sacri- you were willing to sacrifice yourself. You, right. you did everything else. As far as I'm concerned, you you are Spider-Man. So I really like that scene. I thought it was uh, I thought it was great and very compelling. But yeah, John, too, is, is always screwing up. So I kind of like that where it's like, you have to get up. You have to get back on that horse. Uh, and I, th- I thought he was very used very well in the back half
0: of the story. Ben definitely goes through it, man, these last two issues where he is just like, uh, you don't know if he actually killed some people at one point And then you're like, oh, OK, this is happening in his head. But I mean, he really is. He's fighting. This didn't happen to Peter in the past, right? I mean, the Carnage, Carnage Symbiote never got on to Peter prior to this, right?
1: Well, you have similar experiences with Venom, though.
0: Right. But this is Carnage, that well, the Carnage Symbiote, which we established in our first uh, podcast is very, very different. Very different, uh, you know. And again, that could be a comment because it's a combination of Cletus Cassidy and the Carnage Symbiote. It makes you wonder, though how much of an influence that Cletus had on the symbiote this whole time that they were together. Like has a carnage, has the carnage symbiote always been a murderous alien? This was the venom symbiote trying to make Peter kill people. Yeah. I, I kind of thought about this
2: when we were doing the last episode about the, the storyline that's just called carnage. It almost seems like, the Venom symbiote wants to get on to Cletus because Cletus is so different and he's so crazy and he's so unhinged. Like when Peter has the suit, he's got goals. He's got things he wants to do and he's got things that the suit will not, al- uh, that he won't allow the suit make him do. Same thing with Eddie. Like Eddie really wants to murder Peter Parker, but he's also like an he's kind of a crazy person and and there's things he absolutely won't do. That's the basis for the two movies. The suit's like, Oh, Hey, I don't think I'm going to have that problem with the guy listening to anthrax on his headphones. So, you know, when the carnage symbiote, which again is a separate entity attaches itself to him, it's like carnage just does whatever he wants to and whatever the suit tells him to. So it's almost like a teenager without a good parental influence. So I really like the fact that when this thing attaches itself to ben uh two things happen one ben as i mentioned before never wore the venom symbiote you know he was gone he was out of the story his body never adjusted to having uh the alien symbiote attached to him like peters would have uh and then also he's not getting the older more mature more i've been here before venom symbiote he's getting this crazy adolescent alien thing uh which is just like i am gonna you know you are you're not ready for me, and you have superpowers, and we are going to do terrible stuff. And, oh, hey, you're dealing with your own stuff, so I'm going to poke you in the brain. And I think that's <laughs> great, because Ben is not expecting it, and he's immediately thrown in the deep end. And while the, the reader gets a really cool visual, the character is like, what is going on? He's completely out of his element, which I thought was mm-hmm. a great delivery on the original premise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I to think thing about with Carnage, too, is, you know, you were like, was Carnage always like this? Well, yeah, I guess. Like, he was just born, you know, or spawned off, like, and the first and thing he immediately, immediately went to Cletus. Like, so yeah. what else has he ever known? Yeah. What else has that symbiote ever known? Like, I don't, you know, I mean, I know later on, you know, with the plan of the symbiotes, we can assume some of them may have different moral compasses or whatever. But, like, the only influence that this symbiote's ever had is Cletus Cassidy. So, it makes sense that he, you know, that the symbiote would be so intent on making Ben murder people.
0: Okay. It's one of my favorite Ben
2: Reilly moments altogether is uh, just him standing in the cell. What does he know about what's going on here? He knows the this thing that's possessed him is dangerous. He knows that it wants to stay on him. And he knows if I stay in this room with this thing attached to me, no one else is getting hurt. And I just, I love that because I think that not only is that a great Spider-Man scene, but again, like... Ben is still trying to figure out whether or not all of this is worth doing and if this is going to give him the meaning he's looking for. And again, without question, it's just like, uh, I'm staying in here. Hit me with the microwaves. We'll figure it out later. Because again, no one knows that this thing is using the the plumbing to get around. And, and my head headcanon, this was touched on before, but Ravencroft is kind of like... It's Arkham, you know, right. that, that's really what it yeah, is. Yeah, feeling good. Yeah, and there weren't any great, there's never really been any great, you know, Grant Morrison didn't write a, a Ravencroft book the way that was written about Arkham Asylum over at D.C. But you kind of got a picture like a hundred-year-old, underfunded, like- facility that is not in the best shape so i almost like the idea that they put in you know power dampening adamantium <laughs> cells or whatever and no one thinks like to fix the hundred year old plumbing I, that just seems right. like such a bureaucratic oversight that i, I buy it just because you know New York right. being what it is so i i like that that this character is willing to make this amazing sacrifice and then it just. You know, goes into the sink or the toilet, and suddenly the world's greatest serial killer has all his superpowers. Yep, I just right think that's, back a, that's, that's yeah, that's but the then nothing car- happens with
1: it. Like you know, it's like oh, Carn. You know, the symbiote's back on Carnage. Turn the page. Here's John Jameson with the uh, Paul Heyman pep talk. I guess since he got Carnage got on him in the cell, it doesn't matter because they had all the you know solar lamps and stuff, yeah. the heat, uh, the heating panels and everything, you know, to dampen uh, Carnage's powers. But that's uh, that's wild. That's, like, one of the things I would say about it is, like, it's an incredibly anticlimactic ending. (laughs) Like, because, you know, because there's this big panel where, like, Carnage is striking his power pose, you know. Like, he was selling an exercise tape, like, Muscles by Murder, you know. (laughs) And, like, this is the pose that would have been on, like, the VHS or DVD cover. he turned the page, well, we, we got him. We got no worry about it. You're doing great, kid. You know what I mean? This
2: is peculiar. Yeah. In their defense, you know, you, you got to remember too, Cletus doesn't have much to do during these four issues. It's not like he's no. sitting there, you know. Lost not, his hands. Yeah, Yeah, he, he's not. He's not <laughs> pulling a Joker. He's not talking about his next big plot. I almost read it as we want to use carnage again in the future. We want to make it very clear he's not depowered and that this hasn't affected him because you know clearly he's a very popular character and he obviously he does come back a few more times before the decades out So I that didn't that didn't bother me too much. It wasn't like Cletus had a big plan that he was ranting and raving about like if he had been the mastermind here that would have been very anticlimactic but you see in, in all the panels like he he's in bad. Shape
0: without this yeah. thing,
2: and you know, he's basically a drug addict going cold turkey. So I, I like that. That once he gets the symbiote back, he's just happy to be back at his baseline zero. You know, he's just happy to stop washing his hands. And I wonder if, if
1: they're gonna like use Grano or something like to fix this. <laughs> Because like it does make sense and it is a simple, like you said, it's it's better to do something poorly or like something that that runs you the wrong way, like you said, poor uh, simply as opposed to in a convoluted manner. but you know, you're sitting here like, how could John Jameson, who, like, has been the star god Man-Wolf, who, like, flew Captain America's plane for a little bit, like, go ahead and think that, like, this thing who is known for changing its shape and basically becoming liquid to the point where, that like, Reed Richards put him in, like, I don't know, a techno-science bubble that's, like, when you have those things at, like, the grocery store that you put a quarter in and turn it, and, like, you get, like, an NFL helmet, it comes in a bubble? Well, yeah, that, yeah. It's like you put him in a techno version of that bubble because he could just slither and do whatever and they're like i didn't even think he could go through the water faucets why the hell not you're making six <laughs> figures bro this is why you get paid john Uh ah, very upset with it but like you said the speech at the end is good it's a great speech for a great character in it you know with his history it does make sense and uh, i liked when uh cletus was talking uh to ben you know when ben was trying to fight off the carnage and keep him from getting back to cletus and cletus like ah yeah it's great isn't it he's gonna take you over you can't do anything about it it was a very like Hannibal Lecter moment in some ways again two very serviceable issues uh like I said, I'm a big JR. JR. fan, so his stuff looks great. I like Sal Sema a lot. Uh, so, like the layouts, you know, the storyline, the pacing was great. Uh, you know, I I enjoyed reading these four issues, and uh, I'm glad I did because I haven't read a lot of Ben Riley stuff. Uh, like I said, would not recommend these as like someone's Spider-Man starting point. But if you already like Spider-Man and you are and you want to know a little more about like the Clone Saga, and uh, if you're just like really into easily fixable problems that should have. <laughs> been foreseen it's a good art it's a good art for you <laughs> well that's kind well, of bragging on them a lot nutshell. but like you know it, they set it up so i gotta give them credit like there's you no know, big surprise
2: you said that last time with carnage where it was like well you already have the human torch and the heat gun why are you going to get you know venom just deal with carnage with fantastic yeah. with- human torch and Heat got it's kind of like you know carnage is this like bend over backwards because he's he's really good on covers but like you you, in the plot it's like no you already have the tools to deal with him you don't have to go get him um but it's it's funny too because you're absolutely right it's like yeah john is is the quote-unquote security specialist that at no point did you think the liquid thing could get out of the sink but 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 again i wonder sometimes if they just let these guys do work release because it's like okay you're not that bad and you haven't turned into a werewolf since like 1976. So we're going to let <laughs> you wander around and uh, you know fix things. Uh, a, a, another comic featuring Ben Riley from this exact period of time uh, came out recently. It was, it's it's literally called Ben Riley Spider-Man. It's by uh, J.M. Mateus, and unfortunately, I do not know how to pronounce the artist's name, so I apologize for that. But there's a scene set in Ravencroft where he's talking to someone, and you realize that he is the '90s villain, uh, Vermin, who was oh, a yeah. symbol a human rat and he's working there as like an orderly or an assistant or or actually it could have even been a doctor now that i'm thinking about it and i was just thinking like like do they just let the the nice wander around outside like our psychologists following them around and going oh you guys are doing very well you haven't eaten anyone today so it wouldn't surprise me if like None of John Jameson's guns are loaded. And it's just like John, you're doing a very good job today. Again, you haven't turned into a space werewolf. That's amazing.
1: (laughs) I don't know though. I feel like it's a real job because John could get a letter of recommendation from Captain America. Yeah. The Marvel Universe, like, you could be like the president of the CR Empire with that. Like, here it is, Cap Seal. Like, oh, I guess we should hire him. Steve Rogers said he was a-okay. But uh, but no, that is a funny point because you're right. Vermin later is some kind of orderly and it's very much like they do that in Arkham too. Sometimes it seems where they're like, we have let Poison Ivy have a little garden. It's like, you know, no. makes a big piranha plant like
2: they eats no. people.
1: Like, <laughs> I, how could we have seen this coming? It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's even more interesting that they have that analog because I think most people would agree that the two best rogues galleries in superhero comics are like Batman's and Spider-Man. So it's interesting that they have this in common as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, still from the best and, and even at the time I remember reading this and going like Ravencroft, oh, oh, okay, that's the same place where all the other characters are locked up in, in the Batman comics. But right. it, it's, it's funny because here it's like it's just... The Spider-Man characters. It's not like you don't walk through and see any of the uh, the the X-Men's villains or the Avengers. It's literally just anyone who Spider-Man has fought, who he may name to reference. He can he can go of it. They, they, I don't know if they mention it here, but Ravencroft is one of the few facilities that is set in Westchester County, which is right north of the city. So I I, I always get a, a laugh out of that. So. Sp- Peter has to either, uh, you know, ride one of the trains to go up there, or like, or like, get on top of a car to get all the way up there, because he's not going to be able to web swing. So that that's one <laughs> too.
1: Yeah, you're not going to do well with like the Sawmill River Parkway up there, man. You are. That not. is the worst. That's like the worst road I've ever driven on in my life. It's terrible.
2: It's not meant for cars. It's like in, uh, it's like in the Spider Verse movie where uh, Miles asks how they're going to get all the way up to the lab, and Peter B. Parker is like. Well, we're taking the bus, so you know, to (laughs) get get comfortable.
0: Right, right. I may have missed it in the book, but this question bothers me. I mean, is there a a definitive reason as to why Carnage is doing this throughout this book? Here's my assumption, and you just tell me if I'm right. Is Carnage just out having a good time? Is that all this is? Is that all this is?
2: That's how I read it. Yeah, I, I read it. I read it as
0: again, he, you know,
2: it's very young. Right, it's young. It's it's when uh, Spider-Man originally gets the Venom symbiote. It's been sitting in a lab for who knows how long. It could have been in there for centuries. Uh, you right. have no way of knowing. But the Carnage symbiote hasn't. The Carnage symbiote uh, awakened, did a bunch of cool stuff, got locked up, and no one seems to notice the fact that it can very easily get out to this plumbing so i think again i think it's just a kid and it's going around and it's doing terrible things because there's no reason not to there's no there's no repercussion but yeah i i I do like the fact that this suit has a lot more agency you know the Mm. the venom suit attaches itself to different people for the most part in a venom comic you're kind of following eddie brock or or later one of the other um one of the other hosts but here it's almost like no, Carnage is is a bigger threat than that. Like the world's greatest serial killer is just what he does sometimes. Because again, when he attaches himself to Spider Man, that's the immediate threat. Like if you think about right. it, he's way more powerful and way more dangerous than Cletus ever would. So I I think to your point, yeah, I think it's a it's a kid trying to have a good time and not realizing uh, that there are any alternatives.
1: Yeah, I mean, I got the the feeling too from what some of the things that Cletus said that the symbiote was interested. You know, I don't want to sound like a sicko or whatever, but they've been going out a while, and it's not like he doesn't want. It's not like the symbiote doesn't want to come back, but the symbiote wants some other things. Wants to wants to be with somebody more powerful. Like 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 Cletus says, kind of like you know, yeah, it's found somebody more. You're more powerful than me. It likes. It's gonna like you a little more. You know, yeah. it's it, it's just into things. It wants new experiences. It's had one partner. It needs some more and then it's ready to settle down again.
0: It Obviously, if you're stuck in a cell with Cletus Cassidy for however long they've been in there, if you can get out, you're going to try and get out. Probably, Just listening you know. to Anthrax over and
1: over again. <laughs> Y'all are like, not, not Tool. Not Tool. Not, not Tool, no. Never Tool. No, no. Never Tool. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you had Tool, probably he would have stayed the in there. Excel overs over is that guy from the concert. He's like, yeah, let's go,
0: everybody. Like, <laughs> that
1: guy was ready. You got to give right. him credit. You got to give him credit. He was down. Speaking of down, I gotta say, Mary Jane, oh like her her only like character characteristic for like a long time was that she's DTF, and she still is here. She's still <laughs> like, there's like, ah, oh, come over here, I'll show you one other thing you can do. <laughs> like, I swear, like, like uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day, it might have, I, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about how, like, for years, like, with David Michelinie, like, all of a sudden, if Peter was the least bit upset, Mary Jane would take her clothes off. Like, I was say, <laughs> Mary Jane taking her clothes off. And they were like, does he not, does he think so what newlyweds do? Is this what he thinks like everything's like? You know, it's very funny. So, I, so it's funny that they continue that here yeah, you know what i mean like now mary jane let me make it clear mary jane has a lot of other agency this is just a funny aspect that you're like ah, oh, we're not letting that go and it happens in the issue where like jurgens frumped her up really big too so it was it was a very funny juxtaposition because it was like she was a 20 years younger aunt may trying to jump Peter's boat. And I was like, that's a weird thing to think about.
0: Last question. You know, we get four very good artistic takes on carnage here. So let's just start with you, Derry. What was your favorite rendition of carnage out of these four issues?
2: for me, it's Mark Bagley. And and I I say that only because I I really don't think there's anyone alive who, who draws Spider-Man better than him. Uh, but again, if, if, if Bagley wasn't drawing one of these issues, if literally it wasn't Bagley drawing one, then it would be J.R. Jr. I mean, he was just announced as, uh, making his triumphant return to Spider-Man for the next volume coming out in a few months. And I've already added that to my pull list. I I think, you know, J.R. Jr., his father, basically, you know, is one of the co-creators of what we love about the franchise. And he just he just knocks it out of the park every
0: uh, every issue he draws. And I will tell you that John Romita Jr. rendition of Spider Carnage really does stick out. It's not my favorite. You talk about one creepy-looking symbiote, Spider-Man, Spider Carnage. When you get that page right there that opens up part three of this story it just looks horrifying again with you know with the imagery of being covered in blood i mean it almost looks like what's happening here his hands his legs are just kind of dripping it almost looks also like lava (laughs) coming breaking through rock at some point but uh i mean i i gotta say i i really did like this rendition uh with uh jrjr Uh, i'll show you mine And that is Buscema's. Yeah, right there. I don't know why, but I love Mm. this left-hand panel right here with Carnage and the blood. And, I mean, it just looks this issue was fun to read, but I really, really enjoyed the art. Buscema on the breakdowns, and Art the Bear, and uh, John Staniski on finishes. So, loved it. Dean, what's your favorite one out of these four, man?
1: It was really tough because, like, this was... Uh, that's probably the strongest point, is, like, every one of them's great. I really normally like Juergens a lot, but I don't think J- I don't think Jansen's a gr- the greatest inker. For- I don't think Jansen's a great inker. Actually, it is Busima. I mean, I really like that exact same panel that you just showed. It's probably... My favorite panel in the whole thing, so I gotta, I gotta say, you know, I hate to sound boring, hate to be like ditto, but ditto. <laughs> no, that's all right. Like I, I just, I think that was, I think in that one panel they really encapsulated all of the fear, violence, and mayhem that is uh, Spider Carnage.
0: Yeah. So Jurgens Carnage really doesn't show up in that first issue, other than I think it's like one little panel of Carnage. I saw her
1: though. Her. Oh wait,
0: can't yeah, wait to say it's
1: Mary her, Jane. It's Mary Jane. We <laughs> gotta give her her
0: glory here. I mean, yeah. poor, poor Mary Jane. I mean, I understand she's pregnant. Like that's terrible hair. It is. This is you're conditioned to when you see Mary Jane to be like, okay, I'm ready to see Mary Jane now. I wasn't ready for this. Actually, when I was reading this, I didn't know who that was.
1: I didn't know who it was when I first saw it either. <laughs> And it, had I'm not trying it. to, like I said, I'm not trying to be one of those guys. But later on, Bagley Jr., 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 they show us a much more uh, recognizable Mary. Mary Jane, right? Who is obviously pregnant. You know, that, yes. that's not the problem. It's that she has clothes and hair from 1938.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Well, there's, yeah, there's Carnage uh, right there from uh, Jurgens, And I think that's really all we get. I don't think there's a whole lot. So Juergens probably didn't have the opportunity to really dive into Carnage as much as he, he just, wanted he to. He wanted to draw Giant Man. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. I mean, I don't know if you guys have anything left unsaid. I'll start with you, Derry. Anything left unsaid about these Four issues, Web of Carnage. We did it, man. We did, we did do it. Two things I wanted to
2: mention in the in the last issue. The uh, you mentioned you mentioned this before, but we get an appearance uh, by the Multi Vex Corporation, right? Uh, <laughs> which I, I love for a few reasons. Uh, one, I'm I'm a huge. Todd DeZago fan, uh, the writer of this issue. And uh, I, I love the name multi-vex because it just sounds like everyone is getting tired of the Clone Saga. It's like we're going to have multiple vexes. We're going to have multiple things we, we we are going to be annoyed by. So I just thought that was a great little wordplay because, um, again, this this gets introduced to kind of wrap up everything. But one thing I I do like here to kind of uh, compare and contrast with what we were talking about earlier, the, uh, the skeleton, where that doesn't really it goes somewhere but it's not anywhere you want to go. This is actually a little little different. The person he's talking to is a character that will eventually be named Gaunt. I have no idea why, but uh that what a character's identity it's a terrible it really is. It's, a, it's an awful name. But that, the uh, that... the identity the identity will go back and forth for a while and I read recently that the original intent for this was that it was going to be a resurrected Harry Osborn, uh, and that he was going to be pulling the strings on at least some of this nonsense, and that Multivex was I guess going to be a reorganized version of Oscorp. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure on all the details with this, but Better I, I, I do... That. Yeah, yeah, I, I do like the idea that here, you know, Seward is talking to Harry, and, and again it's like that John Jameson thing. It's like, these are these are old school characters. Like, why are they doing it? They have a little bit more pedigree. Uh, so I did want to point that out in case anyone's reading this and, and they're just like, oh, who is this person? So he has a real identity, and again, it's stupid. But he's supposed to be Harry. So if you can picture uh, James Franco or someone sitting there, really wanting that revenge, uh, that's who it's supposed to be. Uh, and then the other thing I just wanted to say is, is while yeah, we said before, probably not a four-issue arc you want to give someone as their first. Uh, this is this is kind of more the intermediate level. You know, you you've read Spider-Man comics and you, you you're curious like, hey, what were things like in the nineties? This is a good cross section of stories in the nineties, because each one of these came out for one week. You know, you, you got an entire story over the course of a month. The teams are not bad. Everyone's firing on all cylinders, but all the plot details are very much products of their times like i don't mm-hmm. think jessica appears in another comic after 97 the fact that the burglar was her dad again n- none of this stuff goes anywhere but right. the creative teams who are doing that don't really know that so you you get a lot of stuff and again you get beautiful artwork of of carnage attaching itself to that sensational spider-man costume so so while uh, i definitely wouldn't give it to someone who is just getting into the hobby if you've been around for a while you could do worse than read this four-parter i i, I do think it delivers on what it tells you and i i, I think
0: you'll have a good time you're exactly Exactly right, Derry. This is this is a product of its time, which is perfectly fine. That's where this belongs, and it's a good story, uh, nonetheless, for '96 Spider-Man. I'm not going to throw shade at Ben Riley getting a Carnage symbiote on him and almost killing people. I'm, I, <laughs> I might. Yeah, I <laughs> Dean over there, May. But I'm not. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll <laughs> say this. I, I've read all of these stories a few times. And there's other ones that we could have read. You know, there, There's a story that follows this called Blood Brothers where they fight a new cyborg hobgoblin for some reason. There's other stories. Does he have that- like a cyborg guy with like crosshairs he's got like a cyborg guy. he's got it's the full 90s like he's Hell got yeah. a cyborg guy. he's got random yeah why didn't we read
1: that
2: yeah yeah <laughs> I, maybe yeah. maybe i should have suggested that but my, my point was there were other stories we could have read and they're just going to be like scratching your head this right. this list i feel like it's a good it's a self-contained well it's not really self-contained but the carnage aspect of it is so you can right. get in you can be like oh i know him woody harrelson just played him in a movie and then you you kind of get out at the end so all right
1: yeah i, I think I, I think it's like a Said earlier, it's perfectly acceptable comic books. It's uh right around like three stars out of five. The the art's really good. The story is the story, and you can tell some things are you know being you know moved along, but there's a lot of interesting bits. I don't know if it ever all comes together greatly, but I would, you know, I would read this again, and I liked all the covers, I like the high spots in every in every issue. I will go so far as to say that if you're a Carnage fan, it's probably a must read. I think it. I think it sheds some important light on some aspects of Carnage's character. So, if you're a Carnage Mark and you haven't read this, this is really something you should read. If you're a fan of Scarlet Spider, Ben Riley, this is something you should read. If you're just looking for a really good Spider-Man story. Probably not this one, but if you want one that you're like, hey, I'd like to read a Spider-Man story and I can pick it up and put it down and, and it tells me a whole story in and of itself with some subplots that I can that I can choose. Like if I wanted to go on or not go on, they're they're either intriguing or not intriguing. I mean, they give you enough about them to where you can actually make a determination about that if you're interested in the uh the Seward saga, if you're interested in the uh The Jessica stuff. They give you enough to where like why you might want to be into it or they give you enough to where you're like, hey, that's not for me. So I would, you know, so I think that like if somebody was like, hey, I'd like to read a like to read a Spider-Man story I haven't read before. This is one I would give them honestly. Like, and I know that, well, that may sound like damning praise, but it really isn't. You know, there's a lot of Spider-Man comics. There's a lot of comics, period. A lot of them aren't like, oh, I would give this to somebody. This is one that I'm like, hey, really, really solid from start to finish. Like, I have yeah. no major complaints. Even the water faucet thing isn't as bad as I made it out to be. It's funny. <laughs> it's a little silly. But again, it's it's simple. So, and it, and, and it's not like all of a sudden, Carnage, like, Carnage has some new power you teleport or something. You know, so you, you, I, I, can appreci- I can appreciate, I can appreciate, this it's a it is a product of its time, but it's a good product of its time, and I I, I just I I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but would not I'm not blown away.
2: And uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you're one of the few Hank Pym fans out there, and you're like, man, I got to read uh, I got to read every <laughs> appearance with that character for some reason because I I hate myself. Uh, you know, this is one of the few storylines where Hank Pym appears. And doesn't make anything worse. You know, I think that's (laughs) very important to point that out because I'm I'm sure there's some fans of him... Uh, his out mm. there. He actually does serve a point. He is he is uh, an unbiased scientific opinion. Uh, we don't get we didn't get into Seward Trainer much here. Basically, he's the unreliable scientist uh, right. who Ben uh, thinks is his friend, and that's got a lot of nonsense. But but Hank is presented as like, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth because despite the fact that I'm a terrible human being, I like you, Spider Man. <laughs> So. Oh, high pocket! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy they skipped him for the movies, and we just got smiling Paul Rudd. Oh, right. I don't even know where to begin to to, to, to tell you. <laughs> I you wish know, we were more honest about your feelings on Ant Man. I I'm sure he's a tool fan too. <laughs>
1: wow!
2: All
0: right.
1: Ouch. Um, forty six you know, and two, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good song. Derry, I've never read this book before. And I, I told you guys earlier, I didn't read too much mid nineties Spider-Man, especially the clone saga. So I think pr- this is probably one of those things where you can say, Hey, do you want to know what the clone saga was like? And a little sweeten the deal. Here's some carnage along with it. Perfect. Bring it on. Yeah. 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 Bring it on. All right. Well, hey, you know, it's been fun. We got through Web of Carnage. I think we have another book that we're planning on doing here, the third installment of our Carnage trilogy, if you will. In regards to podcasts, what is what is that third one going to be? Dean, do you know off the top of your head?
1: Cosmic Carnage. We're going to take Ah-ha. a look at the time that uh, Carnage decided to attach himself to the Silver Server. Because as you saw here in Web of Carnage, he's really into that. The symbiote's yeah. really into like other partners. He's the polyamorous symbiote, if you will. And also, we'll take a look at the what if uh, involving Car- Cosmic Carnage. Which, uh, you know, it's, it's a good issue. Oh, three issues total. And uh, I find them to be very good. I think we'll all uh, all agree these are a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, right. Very good. This would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com/w2mnetwork. Again, that's getgrammarly.com/w the number two m network to download Grammarly for free. All right. Well, hey, let's get into plugs here. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, this is part of the W2M network there. They are helping us out by giving us a platform to put this podcast on. So, of course, shout out to them. Of course, uh, my uh, the network of uh, and Broadcasting Network as well. Uh, hey, you know, we've got all sorts of uh, episodes in the can. This is, uh, you know, this is one of many. Uh, there are plenty of other unspoken issues, episodes out there. So feel free to go check those out. Usually it's either me and these two guys chatting about a comic book Chris Armstrong comes on. We all uh, we all enjoy the Unspoken Decade, and I'm not going to pitch that because we got the man here who can do that, and that's Dean Compton. Dean Compton, go for it, buddy.
1: Yeah. So we're always 90s over the UnspokenDecade.com. A lot of great articles over there uh, at Unspoken Decade on Twitter, and you just look up the Unspoken Decade on Facebook. We stay pretty active on uh, on both of them, and you know maybe one day I'll start an Instagram, but. Probably not. So don't get your uh, don't get your hopes up. This is where you can find all the 90s action that you're looking for. And of course, you know, I'll be gracing these podcasts again. Lucky for everyone involved. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, for Derry, for Dean, I am Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good one. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Radulich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon.